Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Owen Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy. On tonight's show, we look at a little bit of Wushu Madness as we take in Zoo Warriors and Magic Mountain. Um, but before we look at that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. Stephen, what has been on your film-watching schedule this week? Because for myself, I really haven't touched on to watch anything, so... I'm just trying to keep it Asian cinema-y this week, because um, we do like <laughs> diversion. The only thing is I've watched is a film called Naked Truth, which is nothing to do with Wong Jing naked movies. Um, it's a, it's a, I think it's a film from this year. It's a Vietnamese movie, which we don't watch a lot of Vietnamese movies. don't think we've watched any as part of the show. Um and it's been a really successful locally and I think it's had a, like a US release. Obviously there's a big Vietnamese community in America so they were sort of hitting that. But anyway, yes, so it's called Naked Truth. It stars a whole bunch of phenomenally attractive people. <laughs> Just like ridiculously attractive men and women. I'm straight, even I can see that all the men are phenomenally attractive it's really glossy and well shot and to find out that the director i'm not even going to try and describe anyone's names if we're bad at japanese and chinese names mate i'm not even touching vietnamese names okay. with a with a with a barge pole but the guy the guy who directed he's a he's a mostly known for music videos so you 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 get where i'm coming from where you know he does really glamorous cinematography and sweeping shots and everyone's makeup is gorgeous and everyone wears the trendiest clothes i'm not sure how representative of vietnam it really is but anyway it's this kind of aspirational rich urban people um so there's there's four friends there's three girls and a fella and the fella is um is is and you know an outrageous homosexual flamboyant gay sort so they're all hanging around they're all really fucking fantastically gorgeous and one of them's a fashion designer and another one is a is a famous personality you get where i'm coming from these are these are this is this upper group um the the idea is that the film opens at the third anniversary of one of their weddings um one of the girls who's, who's like this this personality again phenomenally gorgeous she's married three years and her husband throws a party i didn't know that third year anniversaries were a thing to throw a party at might be a vietnamese thing but anyway um <clears throat> and you know they say oh how wonderful my husband is and her husband comes as how wonderful she is and the film feels like it's going to be a bit of a sex in the city kind of deal right where where the other three are now searching for their loves to be as good as this 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 dream super couple however it turns out that not all is well in this relationship, and actually the fella is an incredibly 
horrible, abusive maniac that basically rapes his wife all the time and is really controlling and just just a horrible piece of shit. And the rest of the film plays out where the other friends sort of eventually find out about this and basically help her get out of the marriage. So it's but it's you know it's shot like a poor Paul Verhoeven movie. It's got some questionable shit going on. It's got really weird I don't know, it's just it's it's just really strange the way they deal with various things, but it's actually quite good. Um the only criticism I would say is, and I'm loath to give spoilers, but the, the, the gay character, the fella, has another storyline of his own, which doesn't really intersect with this one, and should have been a film all of its own. Um, he, he basically He's basically clearly ill as the film goes on, and his, his illness plays into where he is at the end of the... where the film starts and ends. But, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's like... Yes, it reminds me of sort of those, yeah, like a like Basic Instinct or something like that. That kind of glossy, sexy thriller, but actually it's talking about really quite dark subject matter. And so it sounds like, Naked Truth, it sounds like it would be a, an erotic thriller, right? But yeah. actually, it's not. It's absolutely not erotic at all. It's actually really quite dark. And the fact that everyone's so bloody gorgeous and it looks, you know, if you look at the, the, the poster, you know, you will not... And the title, you just will not realise what sort of movie it is you're getting. I'm not sure that the glossiness helps. There's a lack of grit to it and things like that. Anyway, if you get a chance to see it, I, I, it's not, it's, it's not bad at all. Um, but it has the same problems with every Vietnamese film I kind of watch. Is that they're all incredibly glossy and they're all like music videos. But there's, there's something they don't quite get right tonally. But yeah, worth, worth a watch. That, that's it for me really. And, and. I don't, you say you've watched nothing. I've not had a chance to see anything because we're in the midst of the summer holidays, which means that I get to watch whatever the kids want to watch. So ah. unless Bluey decides to do a crossover with Hong Kong or we get to see a Blue's Clues in uh, Japan, <laughs> there's not a lot of Asian cinema happening at the minute. Uh, even though it should really work to our advantage because obviously we watch a lot of subtitled cinema and it doesn't matter if your kids are screaming and carrying on, but at the same time when you've got uh, rather more complex plots and... Mm. a lot of our western uh, cinema counterparts it's not like you're watching the latest Marvel where you're basically getting the same plot regurgitated from the previous um, and, three and films all, and we're also in the middle of a heat wave that that makes concentrating on anything so I don't have the kids running around my kids are all grown up and gone no. but I, yeah, I've been struggling this week to watch stuff you <laughs> should see the size of the industrial fan that is sitting at one end of the unfortunately because if we have this fan on it's so loud all you'll be able to hear is this constant buzzing in the background so we're having to get creative during our recordings and like having very low level fans and mm. things scattered around the uh, studio so yeah, we're, we're, it's, I, I know. I know it's first world problems for us. We're, we've had a week of hot weather in the whole of the UK, and and we're about to. All the trains next week are going to be running at twenty miles an hour because it's too hot. But I suspect most countries in the world, this ain't. This is hot, but nothing to stop the world. Yeah, really. but most countries that have hot weather, they also have air conditioning. We we don't. Our, mm. our blood is too thick for this sort of weather. So yeah. Yeah, no, not good, not good. But yes, um, okay. But well that's what. Well, yeah, so I guess we'll uh, 
move on to our feature presentation. <laughs> So, Sue Warriors from Magic Mountain released in 1983, directed by Sue Hawk, um, and an inspiration for John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, which should become very apparent if you uh, if you watch this movie. Uh, this film's also really noteworthy for not only combining elements of Hong Kong action cinema and wuxia movies, but also bringing in Western special effects technology to provide many of the effects, including artists such as Robin Balak, um, who'd uh, worked on things such as like, Star Wars and Tron. Um, so a lot of the guys from Industrial Light and Magic came on to do the effects of this, uh, this movie. But uh, the film itself um, see, is set during the Tang Dynasty in which uh, a deserter, uh, played by Yang Biao, um, finds himself chased into the mountains of Zhu where he's rescued by Master Dan Yan and becomes his pupil. Um, at the same time, he he teams up with Devil Chaser named Team Yu and his own pupil Yak Jan uh, with the four teaming up together to hold off a blood devil that is uh, threatening to consume them as they seek the jewel swords required to destroy it. Uh, this film has got a fantastic cast including a brief but memorable cameo from uh, Samuel Hunk. Um, it stars Bridget Lin and Moon Lee in the same movie as well as Corey Yen. Um, and obviously features Yang Biao, who has, um, we've talked about many times. He's uh, often seen as the one doing all the flips and acrobatic uh, movies in in many of like the movies he did with the Lucky Stars. So um, things like Project A that he did with uh, his fellow brothers uh, Jackie Chan, Sam Hung. Um, so it's kind of fun to see him and Samo team up for this one. And I was kind of surprised that uh, Samo dips out so early on in the movie. Yeah, although he is the uh, martial arts director for the film as well, so he was probably he's got a dual thing. But yes, it, it's really weird, and and we'll get on to something else later about Summer Hung in this movie, or Summer Hung's part in this movie, because uh, there's another version of this movie. <laughs> um, this movie also features uh, Lim Gan, also known as Watermelon Slice, which. Um, He's kind of a legendary actor. He's always been in these movies, but here he turns up as a boatman. Um, and he's got some like 600 films in his credits, mm. really from like 1950s onwards. And he's just some throwaway cameo that if you've not listened to the commentary of this one, um, which is directed, which is a conversation between uh, Sue Hawk and uh, Mr. Disruptable himself. Oh, is it Bay Logan or whatever his name yeah. is? Yeah, yeah. It's ugh, another of those fallen, uh, fallen people. Bay Logan, for those who are not familiar with the name, when Hong Kong Legends released a line of uh, DVDs, he did all the commentaries for them, and he's like a human encyclopedia when it comes to Hong Kong cinema, especially kung fu cinema. And unfortunately, it turned out he had some rather bad casting couch style antics um, that um, really besmirched his legacy to say the least uh, but he does have if you can look past that the commentary track is very interesting and he obviously uh, highlighted uh, the fact that Watermelon Slice is here as the boatman 
Yeah, so on my... I've got the Eureka version. Okay, Blu-ray. so you got the newer one. Right. I've got the newer one, and Bay Logan is no longer... Yeah, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> and what they've got, they've got, they've got the other usual voice of a of of Western Asian cinema. Um, what David Brooke? No, 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 no. Tony Raines. Oh, okay. Uh, um, but he only has some scenes. Um, however, also on there is half of an episode of Jonathan Ross's Son of the Incredibly Strange Film Show, where he interviews okay. um, Troy Hark. But it's an ep- sadly, it's an episode where the first half was Troy Hark and the second half was Stuart Gordon, you know, of Reanimator fame, but they haven't got the rights to show the second half. So oh it gets halfway gosh. through, it says, and, and then it has a little cut to end of part one, and then it has the final credits, but they do say that, that it's... Um, cause it's a shame, that's, that's a film series which was really, in, you know... Um, yeah, yeah, Incredibly fun, strange film show. And, 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 and Eureka, on the Eureka Asian films, you do sometimes get these little things but it's got on there so that's back from what 2000 no it can't be 2000 because this film wouldn't have come out but the early you know it's contemporaneous with this film actually being made so the film hasn't come out yet so they but they're talking about Choi Hark as, as this vanguard of the of the Hong Kong new wave um so he's still a bit of an enfant terrible of the of the you know he hasn't he hasn't made um in fact no I think he's making uh Oh, what's that film that we covered? Um, not Subterranean Homesick Blues. Um, <laughs> uh, Peking Opera Blues. That's okay, what he's yeah. making. So I think it's contemporaneous with this film coming out. But back to the point is, there's a there's a talking head, which is a young Tony Raines, right? And he looked completely different. It was It's kind of joyous. And um, thank you to David Brooks for pointing it out to me because I read his blueprint review. <laughs> And uh, he mentions this, which made me go and watch this, uh, this, this, um, this little bit of the uh, some of the incredibly strange film show, which was. I mean, we talk a lot, don't we, about how movie drome affected both of us in our early early film watching likes. I have to say, the incredibly strange film show and Jonathan Ross at the time, you know that 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 place he held in our popular culture he was kind of important in bringing not just asian cinema but quite a lot of cult cinema to a mainstream audience it's so. very surprising the amount of things that jonathan ross was attached to especially with mm. asian cinema i mean certainly when they had the first showing of akira on bbc2 he was on the documentary that they put to explain what anime was uh, but they referred to it as manga great uh, that was also my first introduction to Helen McCarthy. That's right. Yeah. Who is just a delightful <laughs> commentator on uh, on Asian cinema. Normally, the person you'll find commenting on like the most grotesque aspects of anime, such as like the represent what tentacles represent or the rape scene in Perfect Blue, and she'd be doing it all with the most wonderful knitted <laughs> sweater on. And that's why I love Helen McCarthy so much. Yeah, absolutely. But this is a really good, you know, if, if you if you if you can get a mm. copy of it, and it's not just got that in it. It's also got an hour long interview with Choi Hark himself. It's got shorter but significant interviews with um, Yun Biao, with Moon Lee, with Mang Hoi. It's it's got a ton of good stuff and another cut of the film completely, which I'll talk about. Let's talk about this version first, okay? <laughs> because the alternate cut. 
needs some discussion as well. But I don't know if I don't know if you'd have seen it. But yeah, I've just got the Hong Kong Legends cut. So yeah, okay. So that's that's the version. That's the main version. That's the version that I've watched all the way through, and we should talk about, which is the one I was selected. That's why I chose it. <laughs> that's good. Um, so yeah, we open with this uh, this epic battle sort of sequence, which. It really, in many ways, sets kind of the tone for the film. Uh, this is a film which is just very big on sort of comedic elements, but at the same time, throws in a lot of fantastical elements as well. So people fly through the air, there's magic thrown around, the special effects held for the air, and there's vampires and demons and fighting eyebrows. It's all heaps of stuff. This is just a, a really fun movie. Uh, but basically, you've got uh, these two soldiers. Uh, you've got uh, one who's uh, played by Sam Hung, they were played by Young Biao, and uh, both are looking for a way to get out of this, this war uh, that's happening during the Tang Dynasty. And the pair decide they're going to run off, but unfortunately, despite their best efforts, manage to get themselves drawn into an even bigger battle where they fake being uh, dead, only to realise that many other people in this battle have also got the same opinion, leading to uh, some great comedic elements. And this opening battle sequence is just so much fun there's like people flying through the air there's some hung fighting like three people at the same time and just switching out with people and there's some really interesting uh elements just happening in this like multi-person battle sequence that the film opens with and and help because yin bao as you as you mentioned he's he's an acrobat really isn't he so so it really plays into sort of the frenetic nature of Choi Hark's camera work. You know, he loves a moving camera. He loves a Dutch angle, and 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 it just plays into Yun Bao, uh, uh, like like many directors maybe wouldn't get the best out of him in that way. Um, Sam Hung, obviously, we know is great, but there's a lovely use of color. Every every army is dressed in a completely different color, so there's this whole wonderful. Hmm. The whole film is full of wonderful color and action and quick cuts and. And funny enough, in, in in one of the commentaries, one of the um, it's in the incredibly strange film show. But once somebody does say, "Yeah, Troy Hark, he's completely different with all this dynamic cutting and speedy camera work. You know, he's very different to what we're used to. Sometimes too fast." <laughs> and I think I think there is a bit of that here because this is this is early Troy Hark, right? This is a this is a guy like I say, he's the. He's this young new voice, and he's making films in a different way. He's not even, you know, he's Vietnamese. Funnily enough, after what I talked about earlier, you know, he's he's coming from a different place. He's part of this new wave, and this is quite an early film for him. And uh, it's yeah, it's really kinetic, isn't it? And that fight is kinetic, and it's funny. And yeah, I laughed, I lolled when all those other soldiers got up because they'd also been faking their death. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, and he's also, I mean, let's not forget, I mean, he's also an Asian director who's obviously made a number of films over in the West as well. He did uh, Double Team and Knock Off, two of the better later period uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Yeah, I mean, we, again, we've we talked many times, haven't we, about sort of those directors who've come over, and I always say Ang Lee's the only one who's really done it. But to be fair, with limited ambition, I think Choi Hart, you know, He's made some pretty good B movies in the West. Let's put it that way. But I don't think he's. Uh, yeah, he's. I consider him an A-list Asian director that didn't quite make it. 
Yeah, I think when you look at these movies, they fall into that same sort of category of uh, films that, like, when John Woo came over and he was doing, and uh, when Cherry and Fat also came over and he was doing films like Replacement Killers, they're all very much at that sort of era. Um, and the very few of those directors actually sort of stuck around. They all went back um, to Hong Kong and sort of returned to these. <laughs> these returning heroes who then got bigger projects to do. I mean, John Woo like returned and did Red Cliff one and two, that like three hour epic. Um, and movie. and the crossing, another two episodes. Two, you know, yeah. Jo- John Woo's John Woo at least you know he made a fucking Mission Impossible movie, right? You, that you don't get any bigger than that in the West. Whatever you might think of that film, <laughs> he he made that film, right? Um, so yeah, he. I think John Woo maybe goes into the successful column but he has also then come back and made mainland Chinese movies that are epic in scope and scale probably more epic than they could have made in the yeah. west so yeah whereas Choi Hark I think um, he's just kind of interesting because not only has he done his own thing but he's also worked with other directors he's done some acting um, he's, he's, he's like in the he plays um, a general in this one as well he does, yeah, and he's he's an interesting looking character, isn't he? Um, he's, he's he's quite you would spot him in a crowd. He's um, very angular features, but I I, I love Choi Hark. Um, it's, anyway, I'm interrupting. If you want to keep on going with the plot summary, <laughs> well, this is about as plausible as things get because uh, while running off, I mean, Sam Hung's character manages to knock Young Biao off a cliff. That uh, prior to this, we obviously explained about the mountains of Zoom and how they hold this great strategic importance. And, you know, the fact they're made of paper mache makes them very portable as well. You bitch. <laughs> I was wondering if she was fond of that or not. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's in this, uh, when he's in this mountain that he encounters these, these vampires and he meets these mythical fighters. Um, I have to say that this blood devil looks kind of like a jawa. It's that levitating cloth trick. Um, and it's also where we also get to see the industrial light magic uh, effects come in, which I I miss from modern cinema. I miss that. When you like look at Ghostbusters and um, Star you mean, Wars. That... You mean that kind of drawn-on fluorescent exactly. shiny light that flies? Yeah, yeah. The matte and, and, sort of effect. And, and you know, you, you've, you've, you've alluded, in fact, you've mentioned this. This is the first time effects like this are in a Hong Kong movie. So there have been action films before, there have been ghost films before, there's been, you know, this kind of mythical wuxia stuff based in the, was it the Janghu, whatever it's called. These things existed before, but this is the first time that an Asian, a Hong Kong film has has had these kind of effects. And as you say, they've got people over from the West to do it. But what they wanted, what the producers wanted was you know that star wars film we want something like that <laughs> and i'm not and, and actually this film was a huge flop it, it's got legs in the west bizarrely but at home a huge flop but utterly um changed hong kong cinema so you know this is this is early 80s isn't it um 82 83 something like that this was 83. 83, yeah. This this is a film which sparks a new golden age of, of Hong Kong cinema. And Choi Hark is, is at the front of that as one of these new wave directors. But yeah, the use of special effects. I mean, I think Wire Fu had already been a thing. But yeah, it, it's, it's 
you know, it's it's not as good as the special effects in Ghostbusters, which is only a year after this, but it's completely different and it's completely kinetic. And I have no idea what's going on in half the film. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> there's, there's, there's the last half of it. I'm, oh yeah, the I'm, ending I'm, is I'm, a I'm clueless. Mess. I'm clueless, but it's so much fun. And like you, the, the the special effects are charming, but those flying Jawa things, which I think are just bin bags with jam jars with light bulbs behind them or something like that, they're still pretty well done. And again, the the that 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 acrobatic nature of the lead of Young Bao just works with it, and it just. I don't know. I know on the Blu-ray, mate, you can see the wires, right? Let's not kid ourselves. But I don't know. It's just, it just felt really fresh and exciting, even even rewatching it now. Definitely so. And when we obviously get, you know, the fighting, <laughs> the amazing fighting eyebrows and long brow. The, yeah, long. <laughs> we get long brow, and um, I mean, obviously in the Hong Kong film. It's one of those familiar traits that if you see a character with like long eyebrows, that uh, long facial hair is supposed to be the sign of like immense wisdom for this character. In the same way that the longer a character lasts for, the tougher the fight will be. And the fact that if you're going to also show down with your most feared enemy, that the plimsoll is obviously the footwear of choice. <laughs> oh, absolutely! You can't you can't do anything without. You, know, you can beat anybody with a plimsoll, can't you? <laughs> you can probably beat them waiting for them to put them on. <laughs> you probably beat them with the stinky feet you've got from wearing plimsolls all day. So, um, so yeah, we have these four characters, um, which are both have the same master and and uh, pupil sort of relationship to each other. That uh, team up to find these these mythical swords that are going to help them to defeat the blood devil um what this um initially leads to on their way to meet the ice queen um it's a great sequence where you've got these two pupil characters who are gonna catch this fish and we have this wonderful scene of young biao's character chasing after this fish that uh, leaps to the air and he's leaping through the air after it like a salmon. Um, and then, and then the gets fish... electrocuted in the face for no yeah, reason. By an electric hill, there's another fish which literally laughs at them. <laughs> which is, these are just delightful sequences. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he convinces his other people who obviously can't eat fish because of um, his belief, he's sort of like, oh, if you, it's a cooked fish, it's okay. And the fact that hiding the uh the cook fish in them because one of the masters comes back and it's good it's got this real sort of um almost even child sort of energy to it it's there's, very there's, sort of slapsticky it's yeah. very knockabout isn't it yes. yeah the, 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 every, even when the film gets a little bit serious there's just a knockabout energy a comedy to it it's which again it's it just it's just so em, emblematic of that era of Hong Kong cinema where anything goes. And you know what, today we're going to play today like a comedy, but next time it's going to be quite tragic. And then we'll put a bit of a love story in, and then we're just going to have incomprehensible action. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll go back to something else. I mean, this this film, I do challenge you to sit there and write down the plot on an A4 page. But... It's just a huge amount of fun. And I, I love that section as well. Although, obviously, they had some underwater 
filming that they'd done that they wanted to use more of a bit later on. If you, do you remember that later on they go through that door which turns, which they end up underwater and they don't, and then they yeah. just come back again. Like, why did they do that? <laughs> but it's because because they had some more underwater footage of the pair of them swimming and they just wanted to make use of it. That's that's what this era of, of Hong Kong cinema is about. Just just film it and use it. <laughs> So while they're obviously trying to locate these uh, swords, uh, Damien Lau's character, Suyu, um, gets possessed by a demon and through the use of their mythical magic, they're able to prolong the amount of days that he's uh, able to stave off this vampiric curse. Um, in doing so, they go to uh, visit the Ice Queen, who played by Bridget Lin, who manages to remove the, the curse but is heavily weakened only for... Uh, young Biao's mentor character to end up getting contracting the same curse um, but yeah it's again yeah. this is uh, a that, temple of female warriors which is always welcome and one of them's Moon Lee who I think is another one of those very underrated actresses I mean she's also a stunt woman I mean let's mm. not forget there's a film where she got set on fire which is in Devil Hunters yeah, she suffered uh, three third degree burns. She was supposed to like jump out of a window, but they set the charge off too early, and she managed to get like engulfed in flames. But they were actually nice enough at the film to actually put in the, put a little epilogue at the end of the film to like commend her courage and hard work. It's sort of like, and this sort of like health and safety is actually questioned um, in the commentary track of like whether it's sort of like. Do you have uh, it, it, does Hong Kong have this sort of like disregard for health and safety? And he basically said, um, uh, Tu Hawk uh, basically says it's sort of like, no, our health and safety is we have about the same amount of accidents that Hollywood sets have, um, because the people you work with know the dangers of what they're doing, like with wire work and stuff, so it's kind of accepted and people prepare for it, so. I guess yeah. They're... Well, they're trained. They're trained. So many of these guys are trained in. It's not like you know, like when we and there's a Western film, and you say, "Oh, Christian Bale lost five hundred pounds for this role," or that. Um, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember the fella's name. Uh, but you know, somebody went in the gym for six months to prepare for this role. These guys are prepared for these roles twenty four seven. Yeah, it's it's embedded in their character. This isn't special. It's you know we can do it. I don't let me. I'm not. I'm not minimising what the skill are involved, but it is. It is these guys as a whole are, are, very fit acrobatic individuals, and they are used to doing these things. And the the people setting up the stunt, you know, what's the action director here? Sam Hung. He knows what he's about. This and and Young Bao isn't somebody who. Has just trained for this role. This is his life. This he's a, he's a, he's that kind of actor. So yes, I think I think you're right. I think there are the same number of accidents. It's just a little more homebrew and a little less prepared. But the people are trained to do that. So yeah, that's. I I agree with Troy Hark. It's when you look at the wire work in this movie, though, it's not just like one or two characters that are flying through the air. We have scenes where there's at least like 18 characters that are being flying through the air with extensive wire work. And uh, one of the interesting aspects is that when they were shooting this film, they had the technology to remove the wires. 
see it was all in the filming they tried the cinematographer did try using inks on the actual prints to try and remove it but it just ended up looking like a bloody spider's web yeah and and that's exacerbated on the blu-ray i've got but i don't care because i just you just i just deal with it right and there's so much stuff going on so what if they're on wires so it comes down to a lot of the lighting and i think Mm. this is also how this is the thing when you watch things like from dvd down we get a lot of the fuzz there which sort of like gives us a gives the film the advantage that obviously if you're watching blu-ray where everything's on show and especially if they've not remastered it to remove the wires i mean the the technology to remove wires only comes in in like the 2000s Mm. it's that recent that they've only just been able to remove the wires from it and before that it's all about looking at how you light it how you shoot it that certain angles and are going to obviously show they're going to show the wires off um so the fact that you have scenes here where you've got like 18 people on wires flying off in multiple directions as we see in uh seen one of the the sequences where uh the ice queen sort of like guard are just like flung in all sorts of directions and they, it, at the same time it just adds to a lot of the fun these characters flying through the air they're throwing special effects at each other we've got mythical swords that fly through the air and um, you've got burner effects as well which is always welcome to see which I thought were added post but apparently it was actually shot so that when you see fire effects it's they're using gas burners to project flames at each other so you know um, I just hope this. I'm remembering the right film one of the characters as part of their attack on them it's like firecrackers are going off all over their body I'm I was thinking they really had firecrackers tied to their body I'm it not, would not surprise me to it, say it, the least it just it just it just didn't feel like a special effect it felt like a practical effect not not something that was added on top I don't know this anyway yeah it, they're 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 fully in on this aren't they both men and women major characters minor characters I'm trying to think, you know, like you said, there's like 18 people going around on wires. I mean, semi-contemporaneous, you know, a, a film I'm quite connected with is Logan's Run. I don't know if you remember at the carousel, there's like 20 <laughs> people on wires in that film. And it's, Yeah, but they're just spinning around. They're not... Well, it's really nothing, you know. Just just compare what skill is going on here to that film where people are just hanging around and spinning about whereas this has dynamism and it just feels exciting it's ridiculous it's stupid but it's so much fun and and it just it's just i know i'll have some criticism that they do seem to repeat themselves like so many films that we've talked about recently like one guy's got infected by the by the vampire virus they rescue him they get him eventually cured and then they replay it again when somebody else they hadn't even left the building no somebody else has got it and we go through it all again um you know and and the, a lot of the film is in that ice palace isn't it bridget lynn's um i can't remember what it's called but she, she's like an ice queen or something yeah isn't she? she's just the ice queen um yeah. so they they want to they want to hang around there before moving on to the real reason you know you do wonder at part do they remember they've got to go and get these swords <laughs> well this is when we finally get back on the track and i mean this is the last half hour of the film that they finally remember that they got to go and get these films and it's here that we're introduced to norman charles uh, heaven's blade who's like basically this old guy who's strapped to a rock and we get the big chains of hell so it becomes all very much like god of war 
Um, and then the film goes completely off the rails and I lost track of what the hell was supposed to be going on. And it really annoyed me because up until that point, I was like, this is a great movie. I'm having so much fun with this. And then it gets that last half hour or so and I had no clue what was supposed to be going on at all. Um, apart from the fact that we're not supposed to rely on gods to solve our problems. We're supposed to solve our problems ourselves. That was the one takeaway I had from this this movie. I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> um, but as one person on Letterboxd put it, it's a movie about two guys who had to touch tips to, to save the world. <laughs> I was like, I suppose so, but we also they also have like one of those amazing costume changes like we saw in Triple uh, R. Mm. Where, where they remark, it's like, hey, I got some cool new friends, which actually look worse than the costumes that they had before, but we, we get some dizzying special effects thrown at the screen at the end where they basically it just becomes Ghostbusters. They have to cross the streams. Yeah. That's that's although, what I assume is going on. Before Ghostbusters, you know. Yeah. So that's, Ghostbusters that's, copied Zoo. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And it's features not... a villain called Zool, which sounds mm. very much the same. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think that really happened. But yeah, I'm there just is saying the, the... industrial light magic worked on both. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, we're gonna create this demon. We're called Zool." Yeah, um, who was also a mascot for the Amiga for a little period. Mm. Chubba Chops. He was the the, he was the, an the ninja or something. He, he was, and the game was sponsored by Chubba Chips and. It's a really colourful game, but it's, it's just advertise. Well, it depends what you think about Euro platformers, but um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's got tuba chip ice, uh, tuba chip advertising all the way through it. We were a little more blatant with our product placement back in the nineties, to say we, the least. Uh, we were. <laughs> um, now you've got to have like the the PP symbol at the start of the program, don't you? So just because someone's having a coke or something. <laughs> yep. Product placement for the win. <laughs> we didn't used to have it at all in the UK, did we? But yeah. Anyway, um, if you want a product placement on this show, though, please get in touch with us. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll, we'll advertise Club. anything. Honestly, <laughs> don't say that. You know what's going to come through the email? <laughs> well, something, something That's a lot of filth. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm up for it. We'll, 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 we'll shill anything for you, as long as it's on brand for us. ACFilmClub at yahoo.com for all your sponsorship <laughs> inquiries. Or check out our blog, acesimbafilmclub.wordpress.com. And you can join our illustrious sponsor, yespleasevintage.com. So. Uh, yes, but this is, as I said, this is a movie of kung fu, magic, monsters, humor, visual spectacle, and weird ass ghosts that just made me think of. Um, uh, Chinese Ghost Story one and two. Yeah, I think it's, which... uh, I think it's all the the silks coming across that in particular reminded me of, uh, yeah. of uh, Chinese Ghost Story one. Oh, to, but... Obviously, yeah. Which so so yeah. This this film predates all that, but sets the stall. And this is that. This is kind of what what the Jonathan King thing's about is not Jonathan King. Jonathan Ross, very oh, different, Rossi. very very different. Jonathan's um, is is saying this film set. Although it wasn't terribly successful, although bizarrely it would go on to inspire John Carpenter to make Big Trouble in Little China, what it did was it started uh, 
films like Chinese Ghost Story and lesser replicants of that, this kind of fantasy ghost stories, but with special effects. And it, it, it started a thing, and a thing which I think is still going today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Chinese Ghost Story is probably more... Is more an understandable film <laughs> than this one because, like I say, like you, mate, the last 25 minutes or so, not really sure what was going on. It's very confusing to say the least. Um, it, visually, it was it was kind of arresting, but at the same time, it's just like this, it, it just makes no sense whatsoever. And I that's all I can really say about it, really. I'm sure that it's probably some people out there who. Who fully understood it, like the ending of two thousand and one Space Odyssey, but you know, it was yeah. just kind of lost to myself. So, but you loved it as 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 a rule. That's the. Um, I, loved enjoy, it. I certainly enjoyed, yeah, enjoyed it. it. Yeah. Um, I would think this this is another one that we'd add to, like, you know, if we were to do a screening of something, mm. then I would say that this would be be a good one to have on that pile. I mean, obviously, our go to would obviously be like Battle Royale, but you know, if they say no, you can't have Battle Royale. Yeah, can, and we'd be like, "How about Zoo?" <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. And it's, uh, this or um, oh, Bride with the White Hair. That it, again, that's another film which comes because this film exists. Bride with the White Hair, the Ronnie Yu film can can be made. Chinese Ghost Story can be made, um, and like I say, lots of really second-rate ones that were churned out as well. But yeah, the. But this and, and but what I would say is this film's a lot more colourful than those. Those all seem to be in that that blue sheen and lots of smoke around. Those are, whereas whereas <coughs> this one, I feel certainly in that opening sequence, there's a ton of colour. Um, oh yeah, this is definitely uh, the most colourful. I mean, obviously you look at the other films of this sort of era. I mean, you've got things like Jewel to the Death, Butter's Palm. Uh, but this one's just it like uh, right from the start. It's, it's full full colour, isn't it? So. Mm. Um. So I'd like to bring up another thing that's on the DVD or Blu-ray. It's probably probably on the if there's a DVD set. I hope it's on there as well. Is did you know there's an alternate version of this film for the Western market? I haven't. I'd be very interested to see what they changed. Oh, okay. I'm going to tell you all about it now, and then you're going to decide whether you want to watch it or not. So the alternate, the which is known on this thing as the export cut, um. So, like I say, it wasn't a huge success. I guess they wanted to to try and cash in on, uh, you know, Asian cinema in America was Hong Kong martial arts movies was beginning to be a thing over there. So they wanted to cash into it. So there's a different cut called Zoo: Colon Time Warriors. All right, which will give you a clue. So have you ever seen the film um, Forbidden Kingdom, the Western film, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, and all that, where there's yeah. like where like the kid sort of goes into uh, Zhang Hu and, and, and meets all these famous okay. Chinese characters. and So what we have here, the film is pretty much the same length, but there's a framing sequence, a 25-minute framing sequence, where Young Bao is a fencing champion in modern-day Canada. And this is because Young Bao actually is, I think he's a Canadian citizen or spend half his life you know so he was out there and basically he meets moon lee in the modern day <laughs> and and they spend 25 minutes falling in love 
they have sex. Um, there's some kind of mystery going on, and he ends up going back in time. And the film basically picks up that at the beginning of after 25 minutes, at the beginning of um, of the film that we've just watched, they cut out all the Sammo Hung stuff, and they cut out anything that's duplicate, any humour sections, and they basically recut it to a film. And then I think there's a I I I've got to be honest with you, didn't watch it all the way through. Um, it only exists as dubbed, so everybody talks with a dubbed American voice. Um, it's really weird. I've seen alternate versions before, you know, like where scenes are cut and changed, or you know, maybe. But I've never seen a film eviscerated in such a way that you have like this Reader's Digest version of the film in the middle of this modern day story. That I don't know what what were they thinking anyway. It's really interesting. The thing that you made me think of, of course, on the it hasn't been restored to a two K print, right? It's still standard definition and soft and things like that. And it really shows you how much they've cleaned it up. It looks like you're watching it on a cathode ray TV on on video cassette, maybe laser disc, but you know something very analog rather than digital. So. I'm not going to say it's um, uh, definitely you've got to go and watch it, but it exists and it's nicer that it exists. But why does it exist is a completely different thing. But again, it's just a really good extra feature, isn't it, of for this film? I really, I've, I've had this film on Blu-ray for since it came out in so the Eureka release sort of like mid 2020 and I hadn't had a chance to watch it which is one of the good things about this podcast you know I can pull things off the pile like that and it was interesting that you were looking at the Hong Kong Legends one and just just what extra stuff is available now so I'd recommend it but the main film's better awesome I know that uh, when they release Fearless in the director's cut there's a different framing device for that one as well um, as it opens with uh, Michelle Yeoh as a modern day martial artist um, she's given an interview and she like reflects on, on the legacy of Jet Li's character and they cut out the whole opening you know where he's shown introducing he's fighting against the different masters and that instead comes at the end and there's also another fight sequence where he fights a, uh, a TIE fighter while he's um, in the rice paddies Okay, yeah. I mean, it's not without precedent. I, I I understand that. But it's the way... You know, Zoo Time Warriors. There's no fucking time travel in it at all. What, what, where did that come from? Because <laughs> he's going back in time. I'm just no, no, no. I understand, I understand why the revert... But, but why did they decide... Do you know what, what this film's missing? Is if, if the main character came from modern-day Canada... Okay, <laughs> that's 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 the meeting that happened, mate, to make this. Um, I will say, Troy Hart wanted nothing to do with it, and he hadn't, he didn't film any of that twenty-five minute or so. I think there's actually thirty-six minutes of new footage, but the first twenty-five minutes different. He he wasn't a happy bunny about it, <laughs> but at the end of the day, he's not in control of it. It's you know the producers are in control. Yeah, and, of course. and he was a. Uh, he was a, a new young thing. He wasn't a. Um, he didn't have the power that maybe some other directors have these days to not make things happen and hold on um, to the prince. 
another fun uh, piece on the commentary, and you can actually listen to the whole of the commentary on YouTube. Someone's actually ripped it and put it on on there, so you can go check that out. Um, he's questioned about the the record he had for like the longest shoot. Uh, of like 16 hours or something then he would like the, he'd lock the doors um, and it made it seem like he was just being like this tyrannical director but he was like it's like no we were shooting on the set where we had actual ice and when you got people opening and closing the doors all oh, the ice is melting so we just uh, locked the doors and just had people work through the coat yeah I it's just coming back do you remember that that, that um that TV show that's on the erotic ghost story. Oh yeah, the, uh, the yeah, talk no, show. <laughs> it just the, the story. Oh, <clears throat> apart from the rampant sexism and, and and class action lawsuits that should be uh, raised as part of that TV show, you know, those guys were directors and they they are telling stories like this. Like, oh yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do anything to make the shoot happen. It's and it's not a case of health and safety. It's just like. It's it's to do with the work ethic, isn't it? There's a there's an Asian work ethic, work ethic, of yes, we will do what we can to get our job done. Sixteen hours is nothing, <laughs> but yeah, I love I love, I don't usually go in for extra features, mate. But though these these two films, I've I've deep dived into them because I just find the stories around it fascinating. And I will listen to the um the commentary that you've got, which is. Yeah, I'll I'll overlook Mr. Logan's appearance. Yeah, it's it's awkward, isn't it? So it is. Anything else you want to bring up on this one? I don't think so. Just that I really liked it. I had seen it before, but it had been a long time, and I've watched many films since. And and to understand it now, because of the extra features in context of what it is, you know, when I first watched it, I just thought it was a famous Hong Kong movie. But actually, to find out that it it wasn't actually successful, but it was really influential. I think it was really interesting. So I'm glad. I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we. I'm glad we picked it. I'm glad um, <clears throat> we've we've dug dug deeper into it than maybe we sometimes do. And uh, I'll definitely come back to it and try and understand what's going on in the last half hour one day. Please do. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, that obviously brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us. Here's a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. Um, you can also check out our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, which not only has a full archive of episodes, we've got fun writings from David Brooke, uh, who does the film vote, we've got the anime vote, we've got uh, full rundowns of both Takashi Miike month and Anthony Wong month, as well as our chapter-by-chapter breakdown of Battle Royale as well. There's a host of stuff on there as well. And uh, also check out our sponsor, yespleasevintage.com. And if you're in the Baltimore area, keep an eye out, as uh, Lindsay's obviously um, attending many of the flea markets and retro fairs. Um, so if go check out her Instagram site, uh, yespleasevintage.com. Um, and uh, find out where she's uh, going to be next and uh, see what uh, she's got on sale at the moment. So, But next time it is my turn to choose and I'm going to be choosing another of Stephen's favourite movies. 
and the chance for us to look at something released by Arrow, and it's available on the Arrow player as well, but I think um, it's probably been overlooked by a lot of people, so it'd be a good excuse to raise a little more uh, profile to this, because I think this is a really fascinating movie, and that is 1958's Giants and Toys. I saw you'd what I'd seen on your letterbox list that you'd watched that, and I was hoping you were gonna. <laughs> yeah, I've, as I said, I'd seen this one, but I think when I was watching it, I felt that you know this is gonna need a little more discussion than just like the passing. Or oh, we, I watched this, and I think uh, this is gonna be a really fun one to sort of dive into. And I know yeah. that you're a fan, and I'm not trying I, to make it a habit where I just like. I know you're really you're really being moves. nice to me recently, aren't you? I'm uh, not that you're not always nice to me, but yeah, you are picking some things that that. I mean, I've been talking about this film probably since the show started, haven't I? On and off. I believe it's in our original top fifty. Yeah, I would need to double check it, but. And it was a, uh, you know, it was something I fell across by accident. Um, I mean, we've we've talked about it for a couple of shows. You know, it's something that I accidentally came across on one of those sites where you could download films back in the day, <laughs> and um, just a bit rando, really. And I fell in love with it. I think it's a fantastic movie. So I'm really looking forward to talking about it with you, and I'm really looking forward to rewatching it. Yeah, as I said, it's one of the more interesting uh, releases that has obviously been put out. I mean, it was one of several films that Arrow put out by uh, Masamura. Um, The other one being that Tasu movie, which I can remember the name of. Uh, Irizumi. Oh, Irizumi, the Spider Woman. Yes, which I also, um, which I also went wax lyrical about. <laughs> uh, so yeah, as I said, on, uh, next one we're going to be looking at Giants and Toys, a tale of warring candy companies. Um, but that's obviously coming up on our next episode. Uh, so until then, thank you as always for listening. Thank you to my co-host Stephen. Pleasure as always. And uh, join us next time for Giants and Toys. Until then, good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.